now we want to finish up the Christmas story. Uh, we want to finish it up today in Matthew chapter 2. And one of the things I mentioned to you on Friday night is how we always see these real jacked up nativity scenes. Is nobody wants to be biblical anymore. And I got one for you on the screen. I shared with you, with you a few years ago. It's just I say it's jacked up because there's so much wrong with it. But it, it's fun, though. It's, I, may, I imagine they had a ball putting this thing together. This is for in front of a church, too, by the way. And they had a ball putting this thing together. You got, you got uh, what appears to be a couple of shepherds chilling on the end there with Mary and Joseph. who uh, Mary doesn't look like she had just had a baby, obviously. And the wise men all there at the same time chilling. And what, I, what might be a goat uh, over there, which doesn't fit, it's just all jacked up, isn't it? Yeah, it is, but they had a lot of fun. They had a lot of fun. They, all they had to do was open to Luke 2, chapter 2. They would have gotten it, but um, <laughs> it's the stuff we struggle with. But now we're going to turn our hearts and minds to what the Lord would have to say and, and just continue to enjoy ourselves. Matthew chapter 2, um, we're going to read verses, uh, well, I'll read a lot of it. I might read most of it, and then we'll come back and cover some of it. How about that? That's the deal I make. So if you're in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, please say Amen. amen. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes, of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And so they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophets, But you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring word to me, or bring back word to me, that I may come and worship him also. And when they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star, which they had seen in the east, went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed from there. Excuse me, they departed for their own country another way. And now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there till we bring you word for Herod, till I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night, departed for Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it may be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord, through the prophet saying, out of Egypt, I call my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise man, 
was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which had been determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. And now when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the young child's life are dead. And he arose and took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea instead of Herod, he was afraid to go there, and being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee, and he came and dwelt in the city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled again. Look at this, which was spoken by the prophet, that he should be called a Nazarene. All of these things, that it may be fulfilled, that it may be fulfilled, that it may be fulfilled, speaking of the sovereignty of God and the, the, uh, the truth of his word. Father, thank you this morning, Lord, that you have given us once again, your holy word, that we may open it, that we may, uh, Lord, be washed in it, that we may be strengthened and built up in our faith by it. And Lord, I pray that you would remove the cares of this life and the cares and the thoughts about the season that we're in and the distractions even from the room, from our hearts and our minds all together, Lord God, that we would be able to hear and see what you would say to us this morning individually and collectively that we may grow thereby. We love you and we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. And so last Sunday, we looked at the announcement of the birth of Jesus Christ. And we looked at that in, uh, obviously, Luke chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 1 as the angel Gabriel went out to announce his birth. And uh, Gabriel was very busy having gone to Zacharias, the, the father of John the Baptist, and then to Mary. We saw that one. And then also to Joseph to make that announcement uh, about the birth of Jesus Christ. And then we saw on Friday night the birth of Jesus Christ fulfilled. So we had the announcement last Sunday, Friday night, the actual birth. And today what we're going to look at is the victory of Jesus Christ over the beast. Um, as we're going to see the beast try to destroy him, but he has victory over that. The beast is what I call it because that's what John called it in the book of Revelation. And Daniel gave us a reflection of it. Um, in all of history going forward in the book of Daniel as we see the four beasts uh, together. And then we see the, the, what I would say is the, the, the collaboration of all of uh, Satan's work in Revelation chapter 13 as we see that final beast or that final global empire that rules over the world uh, uh, by the uh, working of Satan who desires to be worshipped and desires to have control over the population of the globe and who desires to destroy anything that has to do with our Lord Jesus Christ. And that beast, that system, which came on the scene back in Genesis chapter 10, even with Nimrod, y'all just bear with me. I know it's Christmas, but we got plenty of time. And, you know, y'all already had your breakfast. Y'all can sit tight for a couple hours, right? Um, yeah. All the way back as Nimrod began to rule in the Tower of Babel. But, you know, it's, it's advanced so far beyond that, you know. And it's one of those things that I think about now that Satan has done so much and 
seeks to control humanity. And I think now with the combination, we look at the beast system in Revelation 13. We look at his image. We look at what he is able to accomplish. And with the combination today, today of the development of AI mixed with the advancement of robotics, along with the medical ability to infuse human flesh with synthetic, synthetic material, um, and even the development of neuro neurological technology, we began to see some of the scariest things we ever could imagine when we try to figure out what that system is and how it's able to accomplish what Scripture says that it will. And so now as we approach this, one of the first things I want to just kind of go through this and, and, and look at some of the parts of this. One of the first things that we see that blow our mind away in today's uh, account in Matthew is first these wise men. Notice it says in verse 1, now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem. Notice they were saying, where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And so we see these guys show up and they're there for a reason. There's been some spectacular event that's happened that's drawn their attention. And based upon what they believe and what information that they have, uh, whatever that is, they determined that this is a sign that the king of the Jews have been born. So they show up to worship him. And it's very interesting. This word wise men, um, magi or magus in the Greek is how it's kind of pronounced there. And it's a name given to these, uh, given by the Babylonians and the Chaldeans, Medes and Persians and, and others to, to wise men, men that were, were priests, physicians, astrologers, seers, interpreters, uh, those who were of, of that realm, if you will, during that time. They were given this, this position, if you will. And, and we even see this word used in the Greek in the book of Acts later on. You can look at that in 13.6 and 13.8, speaking of a sorcerer, a certain sorcerer, if you remember, that was on the scene. And so it speaks of all of that magic arts of, of interpreting and reading and signs and all of this kind of stuff, um, which kind of all supports the, the popular opinion that the Magi and these guys that we're looking at came from the eastern region of Babylon, possibly, and that the information that they had was information influenced possibly by the prophet Daniel. And so many believe, and that is a good possibility that that is actually the case, because if you remember, Daniel was promoted. In fact, because of an account that happened, Daniel was promoted according to Daniel chapter 2, verse 48 on the screen, if you can see it there, it says, Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts and made him, notice, ruler over the whole province of Babylon and made him, notice, chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. Also, Daniel promote, uh, partitioned the king and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their Babylonian names, or Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, their uh, God-given Jewish names over the affairs of the providence of Babylon, but Daniel sat in the gate of the king. And so Daniel is promoted. Why is he promoted? Well, because the king couldn't sleep and had a dream um, during his sleep that troubled him. And he wanted to know what the dream meant because God had put this dream upon Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. Y'all okay? <laughs> All right. Y'all can go back. You should read this stuff. And Daniel's an amazing book. You should read it. You should know these things. And so the king says, look, this thing is, I got to know this one. But he knew that his wise men were false prophets and fakes. 
and he was sick of dealing with them. So he said, look, I really need to know the, get to the bottom of this, but I know you guys, and I know what's really going on with you. So here's the deal. You got you to gotta tell me what I had dreamed and then give me the interpretation. Because they said, Lord, King, we'll, we'll tell you what, what it means if you tell us what the dream was. He says, no, nah, we're not going on that road again. You got to tell me what I dreamed first, then give me the interpretation. They said, nobody can do that but the, the gods, if you will. No man can do that. And he said, well, then you're going to be put to death. And he began to have the, 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 the wise men killed. But Daniel spoke up and Daniel said, look, give me, give me a moment to petition my God and I'll come back. And so Daniel goes to Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, and they pray all night long. And the next morning he goes to the guard and says, I got the dream. The guard brings him before Nebuchadnezzar. And he says, here it is. You were trying to sleep. You were restless. And you dreamed this. You saw this image. And he said this image had a head of gold and, you know, and, and, and the, the silver and then down to the bronze belly area and then the, the legs of iron and the feet of iron and clay. And he said, Nebuchadnezzar, and then you saw uh, a stone cut uh, out of a mountain without hands and it comes and it crushes the image and destroys it at its feet. And you were troubled and said, here's the interpretation. You, Nebuchadnezzar, are the head of gold. And you are, if you will, a king of kings. And you rule over everything in the earth. God has given it all to you. But after there will arise an inferior nation and yada, yada, yada. He goes all the way down. That's the silver one. And that, that would be the Medo-Persian. Uh, then, then another one, this, this bronze. And that would be obviously Greece. And then finally there would be a nation that's made of iron, if you will. And in that iron is strong and crushes all other metals. And that would be Rome. And then finally there would be the feet of that nation would be of iron and clay. Um, part strong, part weak, and ten toes would represent the ten kings of those days. And in those days, it would be destroyed by this, this great image cut without hands that comes and destroys it, which is the Lord Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Y'all remember this stuff, right? I'm paraphrasing from memory, but y'all know what I'm talking about. Okay, good. Yeah, you go look it up if you don't. And if you're looking and like, I don't know what he's talking about, you must read the book of Daniel. All right, amen? All right. And so we see all of this stuff. And so he, he gives the dream. He interprets the dream. And in doing so, he is promoted to ruler over the wise man because Daniel sees world history in advance. He explains it to Nebuchadnezzar. And so many believe, listen, that it's possibly that as now chief of the wise men that Daniel, if you will, as believers obviously do when we're given position in places, we kind of bring our influence into the influence of God as believers as we're given position. And it's possible that Daniel rewrote all the methodology of the wise men and says we're not doing all that foolish hocus pocus pagan stuff anymore. We're going to worship a one true God and seek him. It's possible. We know that Gabriel came to Daniel and gave him information concerning the end times and told Daniel to seal some of it up until the times of the end. Y'all remember this? So it's, possibly, it's possible that Daniel has written some things that the wise men had privy to that we don't know, and that is a possibility. And many believe that. But another, another opinion amongst scholars is that these men could have possibly been a group of people known as the Nebataeans, who were a nomadic group that uh, built this uh, city of Petra that we know and all of that region. How many of you know the, the hidden city of Petra and, and the mountains, all of that stuff that they, they've done and been recorded to have done? And they're a mysterious group of people who came on the scene from almost nowhere and then went off the scene from almost nowhere. And it's possible that their whole existence was, was there only, listen, only to possibly 
recognize the coming of Messiah the first time and prepare a place in the east where Israel will flee to and be uh, nourished at the time of the end when Satan attacks Israel and she is protected there for three and a half years. We don't know that. Here's what Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 60. Give me a moment. Six verses out of Isaiah 60. It says, arise and shine. Notice, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and the deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. And the Gentiles, notice, shall come to your light. The kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar and your daughters shall be nursed at your side. Then you shall see and become radiant and your heart shall be swell with joy because of the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the Gentiles shall come to you. Notice verse 6. The multitude of camels, we'll talk about that in a second, shall cover your land. And the dromedaries and the median and, and, uh, and Ephra, it says here, and all those of Sheba shall come from that general area of the Nepotians and shall bring gold, notice, incense, and, shall, and they shall proclaim the praises of the Lord. And maybe this is uh, a, a near fulfillment of some of those prophecies even in this section because as these wise men show up in Jerusalem, as we go back to our text, and I'll reference that in a moment, as these wise men show up in Jerusalem, they would have come in and it would have been a spectacular event. We always say that there are three wise men because they have three gifts. The reality is that they're bringing these valuable gifts through, through the, the wilderness or the desert or wherever they came from, where the Babylon or further down in Jordan where the Nepotians were from. They would have had these valuable things. They wouldn't have been traveling, just three dudes. They probably would have had some security and it probably would have been an entourage of them. It almost would look as if somebody showed up in some poor town down some poor street with a bunch of SUVs and, and limousines with like government officials showing up all of a sudden. It would have moved everybody. This was not something hidden. This was a big deal most likely. They show up from the east to Jerusalem and then they're going to go over to Bethlehem. And they show up. Notice what they're saying. Where is he who was born king of the Jews? They're expecting to find the one who is born king of the Jews. Why is it that we get the sense as we read through this that nobody knows really what they're talking about for the most part? They know something that nobody else is paying attention to. Isn't that something? They knew some signs of some big thing that God was going to do. And they showed up to see what it was so they can worship him. They even say, where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we have seen this star in the east. And notice, we have come to worship him. And I like these wise men for one particular reason. Whether they were Babylonians who had information left by Daniel or whether they were Nabataeans or the Nabataeans and the, and the guys from Babylon may be one and the same. They could have migrated at some point. We don't know. It really doesn't matter. Is God had this thing happen to fulfill his scripture. And what blesses me is that in all the world doing everything it was doing, these guys were looking for, waiting for the king to show up, and they were actually ready to worship him. Isn't that amazing? 
that's what the point is, and that's what blesses me because the reality is in all the hustle and bustle of the life that we live, all of the deception, all of the, the influences, all of the demonic activity and false teaching that's taking place in the world today, there is a group of people who should be understanding the sign of the times and should be poised and ready to worship the coming of the king and meet him in the air, amen, amen. and return with him. That's the, the body of Christ in the world today, amen. And so they were looking for the king. But notice what they said here. For we have seen his star in the east. And that's an interesting thing because uh, everybody wants to know what in the world star did they see and what does that mean? I've always been fascinated with the star. When I was a kid and in the church, they had a, we had a Christmas play one year. And so I was like, hey, can I make the star? He was like, yeah, make the star, whatever. They were like, I don't know what they're going to come up with, but go for it. Man, I went to town. I got my cardboard out. I cut out a star. I wrapped it in aluminum foil. I put Christmas lights through it and wired it up with batteries so that couldn't be seen. I hung the thing, in, uh, and I put it on a pulley so I could do this. And so when it was time for the star to rise, I was sitting in the corner, and my star went up. And everybody's like, oh, you know. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I nailed it, man. I was like, Yeah. I was like a, a little engineer, man, because the star, you, you can't have the play without the star. It ain't biblical. <laughs> this has always been my issue. If it ain't biblical, it's a problem. Why do it in church, you know? And so I had, you got to have the star. And the wise men ain't supposed to be there when the stars, you know, first arise. They're back in the east, you know? You can't be in the room with the baby. It's, that's not there, you know? It's a year later before they show up at least. And so the star, we want to know what it is. Nobody knows. It's referenced in the scripture. We see it even when, 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 on Wednesday nights in the book of Numbers when Balaam's trying to uh, curse Israel. He mentions the star. He can't, all he could do was bless them. What is the star? Well, nowadays in our technology, we can take math because you know, one of the, the things that people believe anyway, and we, we take math, and because God wound up all the, the, the planets and stuff, and stuff, and it moves according to a mathematic pattern, they're actually able to program and give you a picture of the sky at any particular point in the history going backwards or forwards. And so people play around with that, and they find stuff that seems to match things. And so what they find is the constellations moving, and they can pinpoint times where the constellations line up exactly the way it's described, like in Revelation chapter 12. And then they can see that times in the sky when planets align together to be, look very bright, and they see retrograde motion amongst planets that it causes it to look as though it's moving. And all of that stuff is great. That stuff actually happens. And many people think that that describes the star. Now, there's some fascinating stuff we see with that. And that might have happened too. Maybe the gospel's being played out in the constellations on this night. But what we see happen in this chapter cannot be explained even by that. Because what we're going to see later on is they arrive in Jerusalem, obviously, because the star is no longer appearing. Then when they leave Jerusalem, it reappears and they get excited and it goes before them into Bethlehem and stands over a house. Now, I don't know what kind of utensils or instruments they were using, but to get a star to illuminate over one particular house, now that's something. I think it's beyond just that. Some believe the star is an angel. Well, I know this. 
According to the whole story we've been reading for the last week, the angels are busy and excited because they've never seen this before. They are happy. They are singing to shepherds and making announcements because they've never seen their God become human flesh in the form of a baby before. This is amazing to them. They're blown away. It could be angelic activity or it could be some supernatural thing that we won't know. But one thing I'll do when I get to heaven is I'll go over to the library and I'll check out the video. (laughs) And I'm going to find out exactly what God did. It could be a combination of all of these things because this was the biggest event in human history at this point. The next biggest event is when he does his next thing. He catches his church up in the air. The next biggest event is when he rides back eyes of flame of fire with his bride riding shotgun bringing judgment so this was a big deal we don't know exactly who the wise men were we have some hints of things that it could be we don't know exactly what the star is there's some hints of things that it could be i think see here's the thing i was having a discussion the other day with a with a calvinist and he said yeah i know you calvary chapel people you're not calvinist nor armenian yada 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 and i was like well i said man look here's here's the problem i got with it my God's too big to narrow down to a few points. I said, so I, we don't have to put them in a box. Let's believe what the scripture says. You know, so this is the thing. I ain't got to figure it all out. Man, I can't. But he's going to let us know when we get there. Amen. I believe it happened. As the scripture says, it was a big deal. And it was blowing people's minds, whatever it was. And so we got these wise men. They're looking for the coming of the king of the Jews. We got this star which leads them there. This is a supernatural event. We have angels who are making announcements and appearing in dreams and telling people what to do. So this is obviously a big deal event unfolding upon the earth as we go through with this. But let's continue into the story. Notice in verse 3, we begin to see the beast. It says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And notice, and all Jerusalem with him. Now, you know, I don't want to get into a history lesson on Herod. I'll mention some things as we go through. Um, Herod, obviously, um, woven in a great builder, but a very troubled man in general. Because I believe that Herod is of the spirit of Antichrist. He's troubled here. It says that he's troubled in all Jerusalem with him. This word trouble means to agitate, to strike one's spirit with fear and dread, to render anxious and distressed. And to give you an idea, it's the same word used of the disciples when they were in the boat in the storm and Jesus came walking on the sea and they thought they saw a ghost. You get the idea? So it completely terrifies a person on the very inner being. He is completely troubled now. Now, why is he so troubled, though? Because on the, on the surface, if anybody hears that it's possible that the Jewish king has appeared, which implies Messiah, and the scriptures say that he will bring peace to all the world, and that when he rules for the first time, true righteousness would come in, you would think anybody who has any common sense would be rejoicing. And the first thing we find about those of the spirit of Antichrist, the beast, is that it would do whatever it can to maintain its control and its rule over people and does not want to see anything godly come in that could take away from that. He's troubled because this is an issue, because he's troubled because when Christ shows up, he rules with righteousness. And all Jerusalem with him. Now, 
Possibly it's all Jerusalem with him because Herod has issues. We're going to see later he's going to massacre a bunch of boys. He murdered more Jews than you could imagine during his rule. Uh, He was so crazy and so paranoid about losing his position that he actually had his wife murdered and his sons. It was said of Herod that it was was safer to be his pig because he didn't eat pork for religious reasons (laughs) than to be his son. So Jerusalem is troubled for a lot of reasons. One, maybe because Herod's troubled. Two, what on earth just happened with this entourage of men from the east riding into town? There's some strange things happening. Okay? So Herod is troubled. Now, I say he's of the spirit of Antichrist. And many of you might say, well, why would Pastor Kevin keep saying that about Herod? Well, let let me explain the spirit of Antichrist for a minute. Um, John talks about Antichrist in the... uh, in the Bible, but when we get the revelation, he doesn't. He talks about the beast, right? We know the beast, uh, uh, Paul calls him the man of sin or the son of perdition. And so the beast in Revelation, I believe, is a, is a, a culmination of all that this spirit of Antichrist is. But John says when he wrote his epistles, 1 John 2.18 on the screen, he says, little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. And even now, many Antichrists have come, by which we know it is the last hour. What, what on earth does he mean, many Antichrists? You could name a lot of them if you study history. I give you some of the big names just to make sense. There's an Assyrian dude who was, uh, uh, who was actually the Pharaoh when God was about to deliver or preparing to deliver Israel from slavery in Egypt. And this one threw baby boys into the Nile River in order to prevent the coming deliverer for the nation of Israel because he was of the spirit of Antichrist. Herod here we know is of the spirit of Antichrist. He's going to kill all baby boys just from two years old and down in just a few minutes. The spirit of Antichrist. Well, God starts a Zionist movement in the late 1800s. He flipped the switch and something happened on the inside of Jews and they started going home. I've talked about this before. Well, Satan can't have that. That fulfills end times prophecy. So he moves upon a man named Hitler. And next thing you know, you got six million Jews dead. Spirit of Antichrist. But many Antichrists have come. And we see them continuing to pop up. Even now, we, we have them in the world. First John 2.22 says, well, who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Jesus is the Christ. What does the Christ mean? The anointed one, the Jewish Messiah. Anybody that denies that Jesus Christ is Messiah is of Antichrist. And, and he even says, he who denies the Father and the Son. Well, you, you, we take these words lightly. Who denies the Father and the Son? Many do. Many cults do. I don't want to spend time on false teachers, but even, even within the Jehovah's Witness religion, they deny that the Father and the Son are who they are both supposed to be. Uh, they say they believe in the Father, but they don't believe in the Son. Or at least they don't believe in the Son the Bible talks about. Listen, when a different Christ from the Scripture shows up, that's spirit of Antichrist. And many false teachers will give you a different Jesus. 1 John 4, 3 says, And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ, that Yahshua, Jehovah is salvation, the anointed one of God is what it all means, has come in the flesh is not of God. And it doesn't just mean that they say he wasn't born, but it literally means that the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, God incarnate didn't happen. 
Therefore, they deny Trinity. They deny the deity of Christ. They deny many of these things. And he says, and this is spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming. John says, and is now already in the world. John wrote 2,000 years ago. He says in 2 John 1, 7, for many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. The, this is a deceiver and an antichrist. Now listen, if the God of all creation says, this is my beloved son, whom I'm well pleased, hear him. He says, Peter, listen to my son. If he, look, if you can't know the father without knowing the son, then anything that demotes or changes who the son is is spirit of Antichrist, which exposes every false doctrine and teaching upon the earth today because they all consistently try to change the Jesus Christ the Bible tells us about into something else, an angel, a created being, uh, a spirit, a good teacher, a moral person, but they deny who he is, God who took upon himself flesh, the creator himself. And so this is the issue And even in the text, Herod would do anything to prevent the Christ from even coming. And that makes him not just spirit of Antichrist, but demonically influenced and possessed. Because this is what Satan has been doing since Genesis 3.15 when he realized what God's plan was. And in Genesis chapter 6, he set out to destroy that plan. Satan does not want, did not want Christ to show up the first time. And he's doing everything he can to prevent Christ from coming back and taking uh, kingship over the world today. And that beast system is rising, the one that John talks about in Revelation right before our eyes. And so Herod is troubled and all Jerusalem with him. I'll come back to some points here in a minute. So it says, And when he gathered, look at what he does. Now, he's troubled. Now, check it out. He gathered all the chief priests and the scribes and the people together. He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So here's what Herod decides. Well, let me get the religious rulers. Let me get the the Bible scholars and let me let me call a conference together here. I need to know as much as I can about this. Where is he to be born? Well, they simply answered, verse 5, well, in Bethlehem of Judea. For thus it is written by the prophets. They quote the scriptures of the Old Testament. You, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who shall shepherd my people. So they say, Herod, every prophet, every uh, scribe, every, every Pharisee, every Sadducee, every, everybody who studies the Bible knows it's Bethlehem. They were happy to tell him, you know, because, you know, they get to flex their knowledge muscle a little bit, you know. Bethlehem, Herod, you didn't know. Herod seems to want to know. Notice verse 7. Not only did he inquire of them where, then Herod noticed when he had secretly called the wise men. Wait a minute. He finds out where, then he calls the wise men. He's going to have a little little get-together with these guys to determine from what time the star appeared. In other words, he says, hey, why don't you guys come in? I want to spend some time. Look, I I know you're in town looking for the king of the Jews. I'm so glad you showed up because, man, I didn't know. I want to know. 
So I found out from, from, from some of my scholars that he should be born in Bethlehem. And I'm so glad you guys showed up in town because, look, I want to I wanna worship him just like you guys do. And so we need to make sure we do this the right way. And so he sends them, notice verse 8, to Bethlehem and says, go search carefully for the child. And notice, when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. They inquire of the people of God. And he seems to care about the things of God, and he acts as though he also wants to be a worshiper of God. But because he's of spirit of Antichrist, his deceptive means are just to get him the knowledge he needs to destroy Jesus. You see, what Herod would do with this information, if he were to get his hands on it, is that he would send a black ops team into Bethlehem. And once he got the word, he would get the wise man to say, yeah, man, we went down to Bethlehem. We went to King David Avenue and Shepherd Street and a little blue house on the corner, man. Beautiful, uh, just a handsome little fella, man. We had an awesome time. Herod, thanks for your hospitality, man. And, and they would roll out. And he would send a black ops team in and destroy the baby, the mother, and the father and burn the house down. That's what he would have done with the information. But instead, he's going to murder a thousand probably or hundreds at least baby boys or toddler boys because he's not able to find this information out. And so this is what he decides to do. This is what his heart is. It's being exposed. The spirit of Antichrist is anything to maintain control over people and anything to prevent, listen, to prevent anything to do with the reality of the truth of Jesus Christ from being, if you will, fulfilled and placed before the hearts and the minds of people. So verse 9, y'all doing okay? Amen. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, here we go, the star which they had seen in the east. Now what that means is not that they saw the star in the east, I didn't explain this earlier, but when they were in the east, they saw the star. Okay, that makes sense? So the star was really in the west. Because if the star had been in the east, they would have went to Asia when they were back in the east. Y'all follow me? I'm just messing with you. Some of you are catching that. <laughs> they were in the east when they first saw the star. Therefore, they went west to Jerusalem because the star told them that the king of the Jews had just been born. And so they went to Jerusalem. And now in Jerusalem, leaving to go to Bethlehem, they, they see this star. And so it says, Behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, notice, till it came and stood over where the young child was. So the star now seems to be in motion and stops and settles in a particular place. Y'all catching this? Right over a house. Now, it'd be one thing I could go with just the astrology thing if, if Bethlehem and this house was probably spread out and houses were 20 miles apart. But probably in this little poor town, they were grouped together. You follow me? There was probably many houses in this area. And how did this star identify one house? This is amazing to me. Y'all catching this? I like the scripture. We don't have to assume anything. The word is clear. Let's read it. It's telling us what's going on. The star moved ahead and stood right over a house. There's some supernatural activity happening. It came and stood over till it came and stood over, the, over where the young child was. 
verse 10. And when they saw the star, notice they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. Why? Because they find the star again, which is going to lead them specifically to where they need to go. So now they're excited. Man, okay, we're good. We, we got to Jerusalem. We got the information about Bethlehem, but we still don't know where to go. You get to Bethlehem, you're going to find a bunch of houses, and there are going to be a bunch of little boys running around. How do we, we need some specifics. So the star gives them that. Verse 11, and when they had come, notice, into the house, we don't have the details. Did they knock, or was everybody so freaked out by all these people showing up? They're just like, you know, what's going on? But they go into the house, notice, so they're no longer in an inn area where there was no room and out in this stall or whatever it was, this little cave where the animals were kept. They're not there anymore. They're in a the house. Notice they saw the young child, not the baby, with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. Listen, the reality is Jesus is at least a year old now, maybe a year and a half even. He's a child, a young child. He's a toddler, y'all. Now, this is an issue we got to deal with. Because most of you who are parents have had toddlers. We have this thing called the terrible twos. And most toddlers are notoriously just terrorists. You know, they're bad, aren't they? They just, ter- you know, and we know this. But the Bible says that Jesus was without sin. So this is a strange scene to me. Because I can't imagine this, this toddler who ain't in sin. He's not, you know, doing all the stuff toddlers do. He's there in the house with his mother. You know, and that God just give him grace because, you know, all toddlers do things. And so he's overlooking that. Or did Jesus actually not sin even that too? This is a big deal for me. I don't know. But Jesus is without sin. This means that this boy, this young boy now, he's in the house with his mother. And they go in and they see him. He's a year to a year and a half old. And they fall down. Notice it says they fell down and they worshiped him. These men are overjoyed with worshiping a child because they understood what was going on. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. We, we, we think we would just do the same thing, but to get your mind wrapped around this is not an easy thing. It takes faith to do that. It takes faith to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ in general, doesn't it? That we come by, we're saved by grace through faith. And, and it's not of ourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's amazing to, for them to even be able to just fall down and worship him. And it says, and when they had opened their treasures, they have treasures that they travel with. They presented gifts. And this is why we believe there are three, well, we think sometimes or we act as though there are three wise men. It was probably a hundred of them. But it says they gave him their gifts to him. It says gold frankincense and myrrh. They give him these things, very interesting gifts to give to a child. And these things are very valuable. So on the practical side, listen, y'all, on the practical side, these are the things that's going to finance the early life of Jesus because what we're going to see in a minute is that there's going to be a lot of travel and things necessary in order for Jesus to have victory over this beast in a practical way, and this would have financed all of that moving around. But from a spiritual standpoint, either these guys knew from their studies or their preparation or God just moved upon their heart to bring these particular gifts. But these gifts have significant meaning uh, centered around who Jesus is and what his life and ministry would be about. Notice first they give him gold. Gold is fitting because Jesus is the one they were looking for. Who, where is the king of the Jews that we may worship him? Remember that? We've seen his star. He's the king of the Jews. This was his accusation at his death, which was written. Here lies king of the Jews. And so he is a king. 
and he was destined to be a king, and he is king of kings and will be an eternal king. We know that, right? And so it is fitting that he would receive gold. Then notice he also has uh, or is giving frankincense. And frankincense would be the spice used uh, by the priest. And because Jesus is not only king, according to the scriptures, he is the, the one and final high priest. Amen? That he fulfills that as well. And that's a beautiful thing because Jesus, listen, he's not a priest of the priesthood or the line of Aaron, which was an earthly temporary priesthood, which had to offer sacrifices for themselves as well as the nations on a regular basis. But he is a high priest of the order of Melchizedek, another strange dude, which we don't have time to talk about today. No, I wish we did, um, which is an eternal line, which gives him a place of eternal priesthood where he offers once and for all a sacrifice. Notice he's given myrrh, which is the burial spice. So it speaks of the fact that he's born to die for the sins of the world. So Jesus, who is king, will perform the duty of a high priest and offer up his life, his body as a, a sacrifice to pay for the sins of the world. And this is magnificent because nobody's been able to do all of these things before. There are kings who wanted to be priests. Saul got in trouble for sacrificing and not waiting on Samuel. David wanted to be a priest. He wore an ephod and danced before the ark as they brought it into Jerusalem, worshiping God. Y'all remember that? But he was king. He couldn't be priest. He desired to be priest, but he had to fulfill the, the role of king because that's what he was called to. But Jesus is king, is high priest, and is sacrifice. He fulfills all. Everything is fulfilled in Christ. In fact, you and I, we fulfill the law in Christ. No one can fulfill all of the law. The law points to our sin, but in Christ, we even fulfill the law through in, in Christ. And so then all of this is met. Verse 12, y'all doing all right? Amen. says, then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. They were given instructions by Herod to return and, and inform him According to Romans 13, they should have done that. No, they needed to follow the leading of God here because the B system is a very tricky system. And in order to navigate our interaction with it, we have to be completely surrendered to and sensitive to God and his voice in our lives. And we need to understand that. These men were divinely warned that, you know what? They probably got up and discussed this thing. Y'all, and there are probably some confirmations in the group. Probably many people were divinely warned out of this group that, man, we, we can't go back to Herod. Well, the Lord is saying we need to go a different way. There's something up with this dude, Herod. Maybe they didn't fully know and understand it, but they said, man, something ain't right. We can't, we can't go along with what Herod is saying because he doesn't have our best interest at heart. He wants to destroy this child, and he is the Jewish Messiah, the king of the Jews. So they would depart and go another way. But not only that, verse 13, look at it with me. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, hey, arise, take the young child and his mother and flee to Egypt and stay there, notice, until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And this is why I love Joseph. God chose the right man, listen, to be husband for his daughter who he would choose to give birth to his son. He planned it all out. Why? Because Joseph is the type of dude that will simply listen to what God says and be obedient. And not only that, 
he has to go to Egypt and just wait for God to give him further instructions. I mean, how many times has God told you to do something and, you know, and we step out, but then we go do something else when we don't hear no other instructions in the time we want to hear them? No, he's got to go to Egypt now and just chill until God tells him otherwise. You know, he's, look, he, he left, look, he took this woman who he didn't know what to do with her because it seemed clear to him that something was wrong. She must be an adulterous woman. But then God speaks to him and says, don't be afraid to take this woman to be your wife because, look, that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. So he obeys God, takes the wife. He takes the wife to Bethlehem. He stays with her. They're bringing up this child together because he believes that this child is God's son and he's being obedient to God in all of these matters. He's probably, look, at this point, he's probably been in, in Bethlehem for a year because it's probably safer for them to just stay there because it wasn't as much pressure on her as many back in Nazareth thought she was an adulterous woman. And so he's probably done some odd ends and jobs as a carpenter trying to pay the bills. Now God's about to say, now you've got to go to Egypt. But he shows up with the necessary means to finance the trip. Isn't that good? God provides what they need. And Joseph just listens. How do we know he listens? Well, look at, look at verse, uh, as we go back to it, verse 14. When he arose, he didn't seek confirmation. He didn't get a big group of people together to pray. He got up. He said, God, you've been faithful. I don't understand all this stuff, but you've been faithful. This seems to be a fulfillment of what I, what I know of the Old Testament scriptures. I can sense your leading. And so he arose and he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. And, you know, I look at this scene and, and we got to wrap it up. And I think about how God could have protected Jesus any kind of way he wanted to. And Jesus often would say, look, I don't need your help, Peter. Put your sword away. I could call for a legion of angels. They could show up right now, you know. Um, in his adult ministry, many times they would seek to destroy him um, because he would say something uh, that they didn't like. You know, John chapter 8 is a great example. He literally proves he's God. He says, hey, before Abraham was, I am, you know, and then they try to stone him to death and he just passed through the crowd. They couldn't put their hands on him. Why? Because his time had not yet come. So it, it, Jesus doesn't need any kind of help from humanity, but he's a baby and God is working through the process, okay? And so he, in working through the process, listen, his victory over the beast in part, plays out because of the obedience of the people of God to trust the word of God at face value and do what it says. Isn't that amazing? God has left the church, even in the earth today, to be an example and a light. And we defeat the beast when we trust the living God and the spirit in us. You know, and, and we be who we're called to be. And there are times, listen, there are times when what the beast says, we know, nah, can't do that one. <laughs> Lord, you got to help us. We're not being openly defiant, but we are trusting in the Lord and the things that we're called to do. And so we see this beautiful thing in the picture. So he gets up, Mary, we got to go. It's time to get out of here. She, you know, gets Jesus packed up. Now he's a toddler, so it's a little difficult trip, you know. The first trip down, it was difficult because she was pregnant. But y'all know now you got all the stuff, you know, when they get old, all the stuff you got to pack up. Imagine that, you know. And they traveling with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. 
Imagine that. And they got to go to Egypt. So they take off. Verse 15. We're going to wrap up here. And they were there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled again, which was spoken by the prophet that through, through the prophet saying, out of Egypt, I shall call my son. Listen, he's got to be a Nazarene, so he's got to be back to Nazareth, but he's got to be out of Egypt, so he's got to get to Egypt, but he's got to be born in Bethlehem, so he's got to go 80 miles south. I mean, all of this moving around that God said would happen hundreds and even thousands of years ahead of time is being fulfilled because that's who God is. We should never, ever question what he says. We should never question what scripture says. It must be fulfilled exactly the way God has spoken in his word. So then now, what does that mean? Well, it means as we look at the time we live in and we look ahead, what's going to happen? You know, is, is, is uh, you know, are we going to be left here too long? And do we need to build bunkers and hide out? No, scripture didn't tell us to do that. You know, um, well, what do we do, Pastor Kevin? Or should we just like quit doing everything because it looks like the Lord is coming back? No, the Lord didn't say to do that. But as we walk with him and we trust him, we occupy until he shows up. But what does that occupation look like? Representing him as this new year begins. Let me tell you, you need to seek the Lord. Get yourself ready on your job, in your classroom, in your neighborhood, wherever it is, where you are, you are to represent how you, as the way you live your life, to be able to shine as a light to the Lord. And I love that. That's all we're called to do. Be the people of God everywhere he places you. And you got to know, I asked people on Friday night how many people were from Clayton. I, li- I love to do this every now and then. Like, how many of you were born and raised right here in Clayton, North Carolina? Raise your hand. There it is. All right. Nobody. (laughs) Nobody in this room. But you got to think about that. That's amazing because every service I do the same thing and I get the same answer. And there's over 500 and something of us. None of us from it. And here we are in this place, gathered together in this time, seeking the Lord for our lives and how he wants to lead. It's not a bad thing, Clayton. It's actually a good thing. I'm simply saying God has brought us to this place. You know, so there's a there's a there's a time and a place where God places you in seasons of your life because he's in control of your life. Well, why does he have you here? Why does he have you in your neighborhood? Why does he have you on your job? Why do we think we got plans? It's because I'm trying to do something. You ain't going to do nothing. We're going to live for the time we live and then we're going to leave this earth. Okay, so as we're doing things, it's for the purpose of pleasing him. It's the only reason we're on earth. We really got to get that through our, our thick skulls. We actually think we got plans of accomplishing stuff. And that's part of the joy of living. He lets us accomplish things. We're made in his image. He wants us to do stuff. Hey, go after that degree. He'll use it. You know, build that business. He'll use it. But just in the process of doing it, never forget, it must be something that will bring glory to him. Or it's a waste of time eternally. So then you may have to say, well, Lord, am I on tax for what you have? And Lord, so show me in the place I am and in the process of what I'm doing. Lord, lead me, guide me, give me opportunity to speak for you, to represent you, to, to, to be a blessing to people in your name, to be able to. Um, and sometimes, Lord, when I think I'm not accomplishing anything, Lord, let somebody be watching what you're doing and being able to identify that you're doing it so that they can come to know you more. That's what our lives need to mean. Amen? That's what the whole purpose is while we're down here. But the Christmas story is beautiful. And we've looked at it 
in all of its glory here. And in a few months, we'll be talking about the resurrection event um, as well. And so, y'all, I enjoyed the time with you today. Bow your heads. If there's anyone here that does not know Christ, and maybe you don't know that if you were to die today, that your, your life would, uh, that you would go to be with him, that you would have eternal life with him. And if you can't say beyond a shadow of a doubt that you would, then you're in trouble to say this morning. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, the, the, the only remedy to that is your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. This is the purpose for why he come, why he came. He says, I came to seek and save that which is lost. And, you know, he says that if, if, if he would die and rise again, that he would bring many to salvation. And so this morning, if you've never confessed your faith in Jesus Christ openly and, and you believe that the things I've said are true, and you will desire to do that, to receive him as Savior and King of your life and to confess your sins to him and receive that forgiveness of sin and to receive the newness of life by the Spirit of God. If that's you, raise your hand where you are that the Lord would receive you, forgive you of your sins, and give you a new life. I see your hand. Thank you, ma'am. God bless you for raising your hand. I want you to now open your heart. If anybody else wants to do that, do that now. So, Father, I thank you, Lord God, for the confession of faith. And I need you to know that salvation is a miracle of Jesus, not of man. If he moved in your heart to raise your hand to confess your faith, then that means he's doing a work in your life now. He's drawing you to salvation. He's the one that forgives you of your sin. Your faith begins with him. The Bible says he's the author of it. And it ends with him. The Bible says he's the finisher, the completer. And so now the task is to just trust him and walk with him, read his word, fellowship with his people, to not listen to the voice of the enemy who would tell you that you didn't hear him today, that Jesus didn't do anything new. That's a lie from the enemy. And so today, thank you for being here. Thank those of you, uh, Lord, who have been praying. Lord, we thank you for each person in this congregation, Lord. And I pray that you would keep us now as we finish this year. That you would give us, Lord, just a, a vision uh, and a call for the things that you would have us do differently in the new year. We know you. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're way over time. So why don't we stand and sing? God bless y'all.